for it too. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 43. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 43. Everybody find Matthew 5? Did you find your Bible? Jesus is speaking, and I'm going to read this out of the message translation. So if you have a Bible, you can read it in yours, but on the screen, they're going to put the message translation um, of this passage for us. Jesus said, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring the best out in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. Let's say that one more time. When someone gives you a hard time, how many of you had somebody give you a hard time in the last seven days? Jesus says, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you're working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You're kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. We're going to take just a few minutes this morning and teach from this subject, becoming like the Father. Becoming like the Father. I know Father's Day is over. Pastor Jordan brought a great Father's Day message, but I just want to lean into it a little bit more because this is a message that isn't just for men. This is a message that's not just for dads or fathers. This is a message that's for every single person who says, I'm a follower of Jesus. Or maybe every person who thinks that they might be interested in being a follower of Jesus. We're going to talk about becoming like the Father. Would you pray with me right now and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in these next few minutes? Open your heart. Say, Lord, I need to hear from you. And let's pray. If you're online right now watching, I want you just to pray with us that God would speak to you wherever you are in this moment. Lord, we're grateful to you. We love you. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you. You said that we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, Lord, I'm asking you to let us hear the words that are proceeding out of your mouth this morning so that we can live. We need daily bread. We need fresh revelation from you today. And I'm asking you to allow me to articulate it. But I'm also asking you to give us grace to hear it. You have something to say to each and every person. And so I pray that we'd have ears to hear 
in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The message translation of Jesus' passage is, is a fresh spin. I think it's a very helpful spin. If you didn't notice, there'll be familiar verses in this passage that you would recognize in a traditional King James translation where Jesus would have said at the end of it, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, growing up in church, whenever I read that, I, ne I always had a hard time understanding what in the world that could possibly mean. And that sure felt like that it was too much being asked of me. But what Jesus is saying in verse number 45, he's saying, in this way, you may become sons of your father in the heaven. And that's why in the message translation, Eugene Peterson translates that piece. What I'm saying to you in a word is grow up. Just, just grow into the identity that God's given you. And, and Jesus is calling us to mature into becoming who God in Jesus has told us we could become. Now, Jesus establishes a pattern with his disciples and, and some of you may have heard this, but I want to revisit it this morning in which when Jesus meets his disciples, he also meets us in this way by telling them who they are, but also telling them who they can become. How many of you are glad that Jesus meets you where you are? How many of you are glad that Jesus has never asked you to get your stuff together and come find him where he is? One of the characteristics of God that we see clearly in Jesus is that Jesus is the good shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. Lostness, confusion, uh, rebellion, none of those things disqualify us from being found by Jesus. In fact, Jesus told his disciples in one place, you didn't find me, I found you. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And so Jesus comes to Simon and he says, you are Simon, but you shall be Peter. And just like Jesus does that with Simon, he does that with each and every one of us. He meets us where we are, he tells us who we are, and he tells us who we can become. And I would like to suggest to us this morning that the essence of real, the real Christian life and what Jesus is calling us to can be really captured in that word become. I think the word become is a beautiful word because it's a pregnant word. I mean, when you say I'm becoming, that means that there's, there's really no limit to how far that could go. You can just keep on becoming. One of the things that I'm having a difficult time with in church is a mindset that creeps into us that somehow in this endeavor of following Jesus, we can get to places where we've arrived. We can get to some place where we've got some things figured out or, you know, we, we, we've got a good, solid, whatever, healthy life. And, and, and we find ways to settle into, but if we keep becoming as a predominant paradigm, we'll realize that my becoming is never going to end. I may be as close to Jesus as I've ever been in my life. I may feel as on fire for God as I've ever felt in my life, but that doesn't mean that I'm finished becoming. I'm always aware that there's more than I can become. So I want you to remember this principle. Don't forget this. God is always more interested in who I'm becoming than he is in what I'm doing. 
So much anxiety and so much uh, tension comes into people's lives when they fret over what should I do? What should I do? People came to Jesus with that question, what should I do? Jesus never had good answers for people who came to him with the question, what should I do? Because Jesus isn't as concerned with what you're doing as he is with who you're becoming. Isn't it interesting to you that Jesus spent 30 years of his life from infancy all the way to adulthood and for, you know, the adult period of his life from his young boy ages with his father as a carpenter that Jesus spent those first 33, 30 years essentially just growing up, going through puberty, and then building tables. Now, if I'm God and you just put me in charge and we say the world's a mess, how are we going to save it? We're going to send our son and we're going to get him to fix things up. I'm not having him fix tables for 30 years. I mean, hammers and nails and wood is not going to be his focus for 30 years. He's got to get busy down there. There's a whole lot of problem. There's a whole lot of brokenness. There's a whole lot of sin. Not a single sermon, not a single miracle, not a single church service, nothing recorded for 30 years. But you know what Jesus was doing for 30 years? He was becoming. I'm telling you, if you ever get tired of how long the process is taking in your life, you need to rest in the example of Jesus that even if nobody's noticing, even if it seems like nothing is happening, if I am becoming, then I am successfully following God in my life. I wonder what it was like for Jesus to get 27, 28 years old. And, and, and start to have an understanding of what's going on here. I, 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 know, I know who I am now. My mom, everybody talks about how I was born. You know, she, she wasn't married. All these things, there's something special about my life. He's reading the Old Testament. He's starting to get clued in on what his vocation is. And he's starting to have conversations with his father. You know, we know at the age of 12, he was already having conversations with his father. And he's telling his mom, I got to be about my father's business. What would it have been like to be 28 and know? You know, God, if you need me to, I could go down to the synagogue and preach a pretty good message right now. And, and the father just say back to Jesus, nah, just build another table. Good gracious. And you get upset. Are you ready? Are you, and you get upset because you don't get recognized for your gift or your calling or your little place or whatever you think, you know, the message of the ministry or whatever that God's put on your heart. But we can learn so much from the, the example of Jesus that really, in essence, all that matters about my life is who I am becoming. How many of you know that God can get you to become who you need to be regardless of the assignment of doing that's on your life? What you'll learn as you go through life is that your assignment of doing will change all the time. You'll get assigned to do this, and you'll get assigned to do that. You'll get assigned to serve this way. You'll get assigned to serve that way. But your serving and your doing are not your identity. They are your assignment. And if you ever confuse your assignment with your identity, then when God changes your assignment, you'll have an identity crisis. 
But if you root your identity in the fact that I am one, watch this, who has received Jesus and I have received the power to become a son of the living God, then I am a son of God. That's who I am. I'm adopted into God's family. If I'm a son who serves in the nursery, I'm still a son. If I'm a son who serves on the worship team, I'm still a son. If I'm a son who serves in the parking lot, I'm still a son. I can do a number of things and my identity is never threatened by the changing assignments and seasons of my life. Am I doing all right this morning? And so I want to suggest to you that there are a couple of distractions that we need to be aware of that can pull us off this fundamental, essential, elemental aspect of who we are and, and, and the essence of becoming. The first thing that I get a little bit worried about is that it seems like the contemporary church gets so obsessed with certain things. One of the things that can become a distraction to us is the distraction of building, of building. I just want to use that word. And the first thing I want you to notice about this distraction is that how many of you know distractions are not always bad things necessarily? How many of you know you can get distracted from becoming and, and you can get distracted from God's purpose by good things in your life, not just bad things? You see, I could talk about distractions like, you know, drugs and alcohol or pornography or, you know, I could pick a bunch of really bad boogeymen and say those are distractions that will get you from becoming. But I found that lots of Christians can recognize the bad distractions. Those aren't really hard to see coming. It's the good distractions that pull us away, and they're dangerous because we don't even realize that we've been pulled away because we think we're doing a good thing. Are y'all ready for this? We're going to go somewhere this morning. So the distraction of building. So uh, what, what if building can be a part of my assignment, but the ever-present danger is that my passion for building can suck the life out of my becoming? I remember the Bible talks about King Solomon, and King Solomon is an example of this. King Solomon, if you just think about the whole Old Testament, he's probably, I mean, if we have like, you know, the graduating class awards, you know, like the best looking, most likely to succeed, King Solomon is going to get the best builder award. I think like he's going to win the cake, right? He built the best temple. He was the best builder in the Old Testament. I mean, King Solomon, he would have made TBN Studios look like, you know, I mean, he loved to coat things in gold. Are you with me? So everything was coated in gold. Everything was top notch. King Solomon, was the excellent standard bearer of the Old Testament. But here's what we have to notice about the narrative of the Old Testament story with King Solomon is that King Solomon is obsessed with building and he's building something great for God. He's praying about it. He's doing it out of a good heart. But what happens is because he's so obsessed with building, he advances in building and he regresses in becoming. It's possible to advance in building something great for God and regress in becoming at the same time. You say, well, I'm not building a palace for God. Well, I don't know, but are you building a ministry? Are you building a business? 
Are you building a reputation? Are you building what you consider to be a great family? Wonderful. Those all sound like wonderful things to build to me. But if you get so obsessed with building those things, you'll find yourself in a rat race of building that sucks all of the becoming out of you. And you could end up like Solomon, having built the greatest thing you could ever imagine, but being never have been been more empty on the inside when you get done building it. Children of the living God, hear my voice this morning. It is not God's purpose for you to empty yourself in building anything, even if you're building it for God, if it is emptying you and inhibiting you from becoming who God has called you to be. Are you with me this morning? So, so building can be a distraction. See, what happened in Solomon's life, if you notice, is that uh, he gets this thing in his heart to build, and then the Bible says he made friends with Pharaoh. Now, who was Pharaoh? Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. Solomon was the king of Israel. Where did Israel come from? They came from Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They got delivered out of Egypt. Are you with me? And so Solomon starts getting enamored with Egypt, and so he starts building Israel to be more like Egypt because he wanted Israel to be powerful like Egypt. But what he didn't realize is that when I build something in imitation, then I necessarily as the builder will become like the thing I built. So Solomon, God wanted to be Israel's king, and he wanted every one of Israel's king to be like God. But Solomon doesn't become like God, he becomes like Pharaoh. And at the end of Solomon's building projects, he's putting Israelites in constricted labor, putting them back into slavery. How many of you know it's possible if you lose sight of becoming to actually go back into the thing that God delivered you out of? In fact, you can become the bondage that God set you free from if you don't focus on becoming. Is this making sense this morning? So Solomon regresses in his becoming. He becomes like Pharaoh. When we get caught up in the rat race of building, we become like the thing that God delivered us from. So building can be a distraction. Now listen, I'm going to tell you, there are times when God will tell you to build something. And if he tells you to build something, then build it. Build it for God. Build it for the glory. Build a great family. Build a great business. But don't ever sacrifice your becoming for your building. The second thing that can become a distraction for us is not, is not just building, but it's battling. Battling. Now, I'm talking to the gate church, and I'm trying to speak right into your personal life right now, but I'm also, I've also got the, 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 the worldwide church in mind here because we can get obsessed with building and battling. And when I listen to the narrative of the contemporary church, I'm very concerned that our, our obsession with building great things and fighting important battles is sucking all the becoming out of the life of the church. And that's the burden that I feel in my heart this morning. And I want the gate church to hear the sound of something calling us higher so that uh, we don't get obsessed with even fighting righteous causes at the expense of our identity and our witness and the call to be different in the world. 
Are you with me? So building can be a distraction, but battling can be a distraction. You say, make that, make that plain for me. Let me make it plain for you, okay? Because the Lord really dropped some things in my heart this week. Hey, let me tell you a secret. The devil is happy to have us fighting God's battles as long as we're using the devil's weapons to fight them. And this is something that I see happening all the time. It's what I feel like, you know, um, I mean, if you're old enough to remember things like the arms contra affair and things like that, you know, it kind of becomes a thing like where are you getting your weapons from? That can be like an important thing, like who's your arms supplier? And I feel like one of the ways that the, the enemy is able to deceive the church is by sending us on what we think is a righteous mission and encouraging us to go into it just as long as we're buying the weapons of our warfare from the kingdom of darkness and not from the kingdom of light. So we lose sight of it. Don't matter how we fight this battle. We just got to win this battle and we got to use whatever means necessary to win the battle. But I want to tell you, Israel was never supposed to fight battles for God. Israel was always supposed to allow God to fight battles for Israel. Y'all ain't helping me this morning. Anytime Israel thought it's our responsibility to win a battle for God. God had to bring them into correction and say, no, 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 no. You got to let me win the battles my way. And when Israel was at its best, it was always doing this. Stand still and see the salvation of your God. How does Israel fight battles? Israel fights battles by standing still. Every now and then God says, Israel, go fight that battle, but fight it with a trumpet and Israel says we'll take an army down with the band going first every now and then God might say just march around the city seven times but one thing you'll never find is God saying go down to the enemy's camp and learn warfare from him and go beat those bad guys for me God doesn't need the church God doesn't need you God doesn't need me to defeat any enemy on his behalf we need God to I want to deliver the church this morning from thinking that we have to defend God, from thinking that we have to fight God's enemies and keep them at bay so that God doesn't get trampled under the foot of some cultural snowstorm. I want to tell you, your God has already been to the grave and come back. He's not intimidated. He's undefeated. He's seated on the throne of heaven. The train of his robe fills the temple. God is not sending out draft numbers. He's not in danger. He's not intimidated. And the church has not been given a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. You say, well, what should we be doing? We should be doing what we always do. We should be becoming the people of God. We should be taking what God says seriously and, and standing and seeing the salvation of our God. If you're advancing your cause through fear, 
domination, intimidation, manipulation, arm wrangling. You may be advancing, but you're propping up the kingdom of darkness at the same time. You may have won God a great victory, but if you did it by using all, how many of you know, well, let me just help you out. Fear, guilt, manipulation, those are the devil's tools. They have no place in the kingdom of God. They have no place in a church service. Can I tell you that fear, guilt, manipulation have no church. I would talk to preachers. Any preachers listening to me right now, no place in your sermon. Those aren't God's tools. You don't have those in your toolbox. When Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, leave all your tools behind. You don't use your tools. You use my tools. What are your tools? Nothing. Just go and I'll be with you because God doesn't operate with the tools and the manipulations and the machinations of the kingdom of darkness. God operates by his word. When God needs something to happen, he just speaks it into existence. And so I think that we've got to be more careful as the people of God to say, yeah, I want to build whatever God calls me to build. And I want to stand and see God's victory take place in my generation, but I'm not going to be distracted by battling and sacrifice who I'm becoming. And if you got to become something that is anti-God to win a battle, then you don't need to win that battle. Boy, I'm preaching to somebody right now. You know, I'm reminded of King David. King David in, second, in 1 Samuel 17 comes up out of the sheepfold, and there's a great warrior over there. And everyone is afraid. His name is Goliath. He's been a warrior from his youth. And King David said, why is everybody afraid of this uncircumcised Philistine? And they said, don't you know he's big and bad? He's been defeating people since he was a warrior. And David said, well, I'll give it a shot. What will be done for the man who kills this giant? And they said, well, he ain't going to pay taxes. He gets to marry the king's daughter. David says, sign me up. I'm in. Tax-free living. Marry the king's daughter. I got this. They said, well, here's what you're going to need to do. Go talk to King Saul. King Saul says, David, you ain't never fought nobody like this. You know what you need? You need some armor. And if you notice, the armor that Saul has in his cabinetry is very similar to the armor that Goliath is wearing. It's bronze helmets and bronze breastplates. And, and, and Goliath is over there in all of his bronze because Saul has fallen into the temptation that in order to defeat my enemy, I have to become like my enemy. So, so he's bought into this lie that to defeat this enemy, I've got to be like this enemy. But David says, no, 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 Saul, this doesn't work for me. I don't think I'm supposed to become like Goliath to, to beat Goliath. I think I'm supposed to become like the Lord. Y'all didn't catch that. He said, I don't think I'm supposed to become like my enemy. I think I'm supposed to become like my God. 
And then David remembered that he had written Psalm 23. And he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. Then he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you with me. So David says, y'all keep that bronze. Only thing I need is a staff because I'm not going to become like that giant. I'm going to become like my God and my God is a shepherd. So with a staff in his right hand and a sling in the other, David said, you come against me with your weapons of darkness, but I come against you in the name of the God of Israel. And I don't need your weapons to win this battle. You see, the feeling that we need weapons of darkness to win battles is an indication of the lack of the presence of God on our lives. David didn't believe he needed those weapons because he knew he had the presence. And when you've got the presence, you don't need the weapons, baby. Y'all, I wish I could go through the old, Old Testament right now and tell you how many times Israel marched into a battle with not a single weapon, but as long as they had the presence on them, everything was going to be okay. And then there were other times that they went charging into the battle with all the weapons they could muster, but when they didn't have the presence, they lost the battle. Just touch your neighbor and tell him, you can have the sword. I just want the presence. Tell him, you can have the sword. I, I just want the presence. I, I, I don't want to fight with the world's weapons. You see, one of the things that the church has got to lean into is that we are not just called to proclaim the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel is good. Will you, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that we don't need to just proclaim the gospel. We need to become the gospel. You don't need to just proclaim the faithfulness of God. Why don't you become the faithfulness of God? Don't just proclaim the mercy of God. Become the mercy of God. Don't just proclaim the forgiveness of God. Become the forgiveness of God. Don't just proclaim the generosity of God. Become the gener generosity of God. And if we'll come back to becoming, then every enemy can be defeated and every victory can be won. But we don't do it in the ways of the world. Become the peace of God. See, when we encounter Jesus, encounter is always intended to open us up to becoming. And I'm getting ready to, to round third base right now. Here I come. I'm, I'm just a slow base runner. I can't help it. I'm going to round third base right here. You ready for this? So we encounter Jesus. Encounters open us up to the process of becoming. Let me talk to kind of spirit-filled people right now. So one of the things we've done in church, we've overemphasized the encounter. Said so you need an encounter with God and you get an encounter with God. And encounters with God are important. But if your encounter with God does not lead you and open you up to the process of becoming, it will not bear fruit in your life. So here's what happens. I encounter Jesus, the son, and then I'm opened up to the process of becoming a son of God. And I walk that process out. How do you do that? By following Jesus. 
Jesus is the Son. He is the capital T, capital S, Son. So I encountered Jesus, and to as many as would receive him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. So I start walking and following Jesus. All through this spring, we touched on this throughout all these months of what is following Jesus. I've got a question for you. If you're following Jesus, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going if you're following Jesus? Are you a Christ follower? How many Christ followers do we have online at the Gate Church today? You got any Christ followers on the chat right now? Any Christ followers in the building? Three. Okay, great. We're going to do a big altar call at the end of service. Get you guys all following Jesus. Amen? So, so, you know, you're following Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples where he's going. I'm going to the Father. So if we're following Jesus, where is Jesus taking us? He's taking us to the Father. Because following Jesus is the process by which I become a mature son of God. Y'all aren't getting this. So Jesus wants us to grow up into maturity. And we grow up into maturity by taking Jesus seriously and following Jesus with all of our heart so that our life is centered not around our preferences or our desires or our ambitions, but it's centered around the Lordship of Jesus so that every season and every moment of our life is determined by what we think Jesus is leading us to do. Following Jesus is a present tense activity. You don't follow Jesus vaguely by just saying, I'm following Jesus in this season. No, no, no. This morning, today, tomorrow, did you wake up and say, Jesus, how can I follow you today? On my job, in my workplace, whatever I'm doing. Are you with me? So following Jesus leads us to an encounter with the Father. And here's, here's a word for you. We, we, we do retreats to help you with this. We do intensives to help you with this. But if you have not encountered the love of the Father that is perfect and pure and unending, then loved one, Jesus hasn't accomplished his purpose in your life yet because Jesus' mission is to bring you to the Father. We can say this at the gate church, everybody's getting used to it. Jesus' mission is not to get you to go to heaven when you die. Oh, I thought everybody was used to it. Apparently you're not. That was This Presbyterian church got really quiet right then. Jesus' mission is not to get you to go to heaven when you die. Jesus' mission is to get you to the Father. Well, what's going to happen when I die? Well, you're going to get to be with Jesus and the Father when you die. So just take a, you know, Alka-Seltzer or whatever you need right now if you got indigestion because I said that. Are you okay? Right? So, so don't worry about all of, all of that. But we've, we've, you see what we've done is we've substituted the mission. Jesus didn't say anything about, got to make sure you go to heaven when you die. He said, no, I want to get you to the Father. And why, Jesus, do you want to get us to the Father? Matthew 5, Jesus is telling us why he wants to get us to the Father. Because he knows that if we encounter the Father and we follow him all the way to the Father and we become mature sons and daughters of the living God, then we will grow up into maturity and the whole world will begin to come to know the truth. Not because we proclaim something great, not because we won a bunch of battles or built a bunch of great things, but because of who we have become in Jesus. Man, I hope you're getting this. So our encounters have to lead to the process of becoming. Watch this. When sons mature, 
they become like their father. The reason that Jesus would look at his disciples and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the father is because he was the mature son of God. And so in Matthew chapter five, we're gonna return to our text as we conclude this morning. Jesus says, I'm basically calling you to understand what God the father is like and then to become like him. Another way to say be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect is just simply to say grow up, just become mature, become more like your father in heaven. Well, what, in what ways? Because we could talk about that hundred and then Jesus makes it really plain. And he says here, because see some people might listen to this message and say, well, I need some practical application. I'm going to let Jesus give you the practical application right now. Are you ready for this? Here's your how-to part of your nice consumer-friendly message. Are you ready for this? And I'm going to get it from Jesus because you can get mad at him if you want. Here's, here's the application part. When people give you a hard time, that's your application, right? When you encounter people who don't like you and they say nasty things about you on Facebook, Jesus says, that's when you get to apply this yes. message. Yes. Man, I only got one amen down here on the front row. Miss Chan is carrying this whole congregation right now with her passionate amens. I'm not making this up, people. Jesus says, here's how you know how you're doing in becoming like your father when people treat you bad. Do you know people have been treating God bad all this time? And you know what God keeps on doing? He just keeps on responding with gracious generosity. The sun shines on them. The rain shines on them. He just responds with love. So when you find yourself finding deep down on the inside of you an ability to respond to persecution and hatred and enemy work towards you with love and forgiveness that you can know, oh, I'm making some progress in becoming a mature son or daughter of the living God. And so Jesus says, this is what will set us apart as the people of God. Let me just share a couple of thoughts with you guys. Come to the keyboard if you, if you want to. This is something I just felt that I'm supposed to share with some people. And I believe there's liberty in these words. The goal of your life, listen to me, loved one, is not to build great things or to win great battles. The goal of your life is to become one who loves well. I'm going to say that again. The goal of your life is not to build great things, is not to win great battles. The goal of your life is to become one who loves well. Why? Because your Father in heaven loves well. He can build anything he needs to build when he needs to build it. And he can win any battle he needs to win when he needs to win it. But the essence of the identity of the God that we serve is that God is love. Are you with me? So we don't say that God is a great victor or that God is a great warrior. We say God is love. And then we say love wins every battle and love builds the best things. 
I'm telling you guys, if you can get a hold of this and live in the way of love, you'll find God working on your behalf in so many ways. Life is not a race to be won or a battle to be conquered. Life is a gift to be given. You see, I'm coming against the distracting lies of our culture that tell us that life is a race to be won or life is a competition to be outdone. You got competitors you have to outdo or life is about how great the things that you build. And I'm saying, no, I'm a Christian. And so for me, life is a gift. And what do you do with gifts? You give them away. And so when I receive the gift of my life, I say, God, how do I in love give my life away to the world? And when God finds people like that, he finds image bearers in the earth and say, wow, they look like me. Let's put some on on them because they look like me. Let's breathe on what they're doing because if we can get more of them from being distracted of all the nonsense in the world and being a better reflection of who we are, then God's kingdom will come in the earth as it is in heaven. Come on, stand to your feet with me all over the building. I just want to pray for you. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives His best to everyone regardless. Grow up, your kingdom subjects, Gate Church. I want to say to you this morning, grow up. Your kingdom subjects, Gate Church, live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way that God lives toward you. Would you just turn your hands toward heaven right now? And let's just receive the love of the Father right now in this moment. Come on, just open up your hearts. Go ahead, man. Thousand stories of what they think your life, but I heard the tender whispers of love. Yeah, in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. Come on now, right now, I just want to give you just a moment. I believe there's so many people that what God wants to do in this moment is just to refresh us, to remind us that, watch this, Pastor Jordan said it so well last week, 
It's not based on our performance. It's not based on what we're doing or how well we're doing. But there's only one thing coming from the heart of the Father towards you right now. And that's just pure, absolute love, unconditional love. So Father, I'm asking you just to pour that love out in our hearts. You said in Romans chapter 5 that what the Holy Spirit does is He just sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. So I'm praying right now that our hearts will be flooded with the love of God, that we would be transformed by the love of God, that we would begin to let the love of God flow through us in new ways. And so, Lord, we just say pour it out in our hearts. Would you just pray that right there wherever you are? If you're online today, just say, Lord, pour out your love in my heart right now. I want my heart to be an open receptacle, to wash everything, Lord, every distraction, every delusion, everything, Lord, that would pull me away from becoming like you. God, we say wash it away in your love, in Jesus' name. Now, I want to pray for just a couple of people, a couple of categories of people this morning. And I... I hope you hear my heart this morning, but I just feel like there are some people that need to be set free from the distraction of building and the distraction of fighting battles. You know, when, when Paul Dartery was here for Affecting Destiny, he talked about sideways battles. And I thought that was such a profound word and I felt like it was so for so many people. But I just felt as I was preparing this week, God say, I'm gonna deliver people from battles that have no spoils, battles that make no difference, battles that waste their energy. Some of you are exhausted right now because you've been spending yourself in battles that you've not been assigned to fight. And God wants to set you free from the distraction of battles. Some of you have been investing energy in building something that God didn't even ask you to build. And I want you to be set free today. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come down front. We're going to release service. If you'd like someone to pray with you today, we'd love to pray with you. If you're online and you want someone to pray with you, you can chat right now in that chat and just say, hey, I need prayer for something specific in my life. But Father, we just agree right now. Come on, would you agree with me, church? We agree that you're setting us free from every distracting battle, from every distracting building assignment, from anything that would suck the becoming out of our lives. And Lord, we say we're going to return to the love of the Father, and we're going to become the sons and daughters of the living God that you've called us to be. So we thank you, Lord, that you're setting us free in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray.